Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. Today, we're talking about suing Hollywood. Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over the release of Black Widow. It's a really interesting lawsuit, and I have some very strong opinions about it, particularly because of the way Disney responded. And you know that I'm a Disney fan. I I go to theme parks. I love a Disney cruise. I love the Marvel comic universe. I I love I love Disney. I do not love their response to this suit. And truthfully, I'm glad that Scarlett Johansson is like, no, and calling it out. I'm it it signals a lot of things. And we've talked about the changing movie industry before, particularly because of COVID. So it's going to be really interesting to talk about the play between COVID movies, movie theaters, and where we're going next, because that's all tied into this suit. And then we've got a bit of a blast from the past for anyone who's around my age. And Bam Margera is suing MTV at all over the next Jackass movie. Yes, there's another Jackass movie coming. And the reason I wanted to talk about this today is not only because it has to do with somebody suing Hollywood, because he's suing... um Paramount and others, but because a there's a lot tied into this with the showrunner. There's a restraining order. There's a lot of information on that end of it, and we can see kind of the crumbling of this business relationship, which is something I talk about frequently on YouTube in other cases. But also because there's this wellness contract that Bam is arguing he was forced to sign under duress, and. It ties into some of the things and some of the hoops Britney Spears has had to jump through in her own conservatorship and some of the things I suspect might have been going on when she signed her contract for her tours and shows in Nevada. So, or Vegas, I don't know. We've been talking about Nevada lawsuits a lot. No, that's Vegas. I can just say Vegas for that one. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about how these types of wellness clauses play into entertainment contracts because they're fairly uh, specific and unique in the entertainment industry. Other work types of contracts have other uh, types of provisions, but it's really interesting to kind of govern the way someone is living or looking over their contract. So lots to come today. Buckle up. And I can't wait to, to hear your thoughts. So make sure you join me on social media at the Emily D. Baker so you can let me know what you are thinking of this episode. And of course, you can leave comments if you are on the YouTube video. If you're listening on audio only, you can leave a review for the podcast. That would be super helpful. I appreciate your reviews. It's time. It's time to just, it's time to just get into it. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. You know how much I love starting The Emily Show with a quote and This one comes from author Robert Crace. He says, of Hollywood, there's the Hollywood sign, there's Griffith Observatory, there's the amazing Los Angeles Basin. It's 465 square miles of insanity and the best food on the planet. I would love to know your thoughts. As someone who's moved out of LA, there are many days you can't see the LA Basin. (laughs) But I, I love 
seeing LA through other people's eyes who absolutely love the city. And Robert Grace does write a lot about uh, Los Angeles and crime in Los Angeles, which is always fascinating because his daughter was a deputy district attorney um, while I was a deputy district attorney. And she is absolutely lovely. So as I was looking for quotes regarding Hollywood, I was like, yes, of course, we're including a Robert Grace quote Obviously, there is another one when we get into Bam Margera's story. But before we get into that, today we are talking about Scarlett Johansson and Black Widow. I saw the film on Disney Plus at home with my husband and my two kids. We enjoyed it quite a lot. I'm a pretty easy peasy moviegoer. Like, I'm not super hyper critical of movies. There are movies that I don't love, but most movies I am able to sit back and enjoy without being much more critical. I don't know how much Black Widow moves along the storyline in the MCU. It's kind of oddly placed, but also this movie was supposed to be released a lot longer ago, but because of COVID, it was not. And I enjoyed the end scene credits. I really enjoyed the introduction of new characters and lots of chicks kicking ass, which is a lot of fun to watch because Black Widow didn't always get the respect she deserves, I think, in the MCU. You got a lot of uh, shots of Scarlett Johansson's butt looking amazing. Like, we got a lot of that. But you didn't get to see all of the stunt work and all of the, the fight scenes. And this really as a standalone film, was just a ton of fun with that. And I enjoyed the character development. I enjoyed the interplay. I'm not going to spoil the movie in getting into this, but I am going to say that it brings me to today's sponsor, Betta Brand. Betta Brand makes work pants that aren't work pants. They are yoga pants that are work appropriate. Now, before the pandemic, you might have been like, Emily, what are you talking about? Like, you're crazy. I wore better brand pants quite frequently as a district attorney. A lot of my colleagues did as well. I was introduced to this brand by my colleagues years ago because they're stretchy and they're, they are yoga-like, but they are work-appropriate. And oh my, my, did I love them. So as I was watching uh, Black Widow, I was like, you know what? She gets to go to work in comfy pants, and you should too. You should be able to wear pants that you can do whatever you need to do in, and Better Brand does provide that to you. I enjoy them. I think that you'll enjoy them, especially if it's a bit of a rough transition for you getting from COVID. Look, I wear yoga pants every day. I do not do yoga every day, <laughs> but I do wear um some form of workout pants almost every single day because they're comfortable and I work from home. If I was transitioning back to a workplace, I would be freaking out. I don't want to wear real pants. And it's okay if you don't want to wear real pants. You can wear yoga pants that look like real pants with Better Brand. So right now, you can get 30% off your Better Brand order when you go to betterbrand.com slash Emily. Yes, betterbrand.com slash Emily. That's B-E-T-A brand.com slash Emily for 30% off your order for a limited time. And when you use my URL, you are also supporting the Emily show and I appreciate it. Find out why women are ditching typical work pants for better brand dress yoga pants. Go to betterbrand.com slash Emily for 30% off. And thank you to better brand for sponsoring this episode of the Emily show. It's appreciated. We also appreciate the yoga dress pants. Work pants that are yoga pants, we love. We love. 
Let's get back into talking about Scarlett Johansson suing Hollywood. If you have not seen Black Widow yet, then I don't know what to tell you. I won't spoil the movie, I promise, but Black Widow was released on Disney Plus as well as being released in theaters. And therein lies the problem because there's a contract over all of this type of shit. And Scarlett Johansson is arguing that Walt Disney Company breached the contract that she signed with Marvel. And you're like, wait, she signed the contract with Marvel, but Disney breached it. We're going to get into that because that is one of the quirks of this lawsuit. But Disney is the parent company here. And Disney is the one in charge of these release plans. So even though Marvel had a uh, contract with Scarlett Johansson that covered the details of release, Disney was like, nah, what we're going to do is go ahead and release this on Disney+. Plus." Scarlett Johansson's lawyers have some pretty strong words for Disney and Disney had some fairly strong words back. I definitely, um, I definitely have empathy for one side more than the other in this and we'll get through it. The lawsuit comes out hot saying that over the past decade, Scarlett Johansson's work has generated billions of dollars for Marvel Studios and by extension, its parent company, Disney. In recognition and reliance of the impressive track record, Marvel and Ms. Johansson agreed uh, that her compensation for starring in the latest motion picture addition to the MCU, Black Widow, would be based largely on box office receipts generated by the picture. To maximize these receipts and thereby protect her financial interests, Ms. Johansson extracted a promise from Marvel that the release of the picture would be a, quote, theatrical release. Ms. Johansson, Disney Marvel, and most everyone else in Hollywood knows a quote theatrical release is a release that is exclusive to movie theaters. Disney was well aware of this promise, but nonetheless directed Marvel to violate its pledge and instead release the picture to Disney Plus streaming service the very same day it was released in movie theaters. And this is really the heart the lawyers do a great job of summarizing for everyone that this is the heart of the lawsuit. They promised a theatrical release. They released it to Disney Plus, an in-home streaming service, and in theaters on the same day. That is not a theatrical release, according to Johansson's team. And I think for most of us, the plain language of theatrical release does lend towards that means in theaters. And we'll get into the fact that when Disney Plus was announced, Scarlett Johansson's team went to Marvel and was like, right, but we're still doing the theater, right? And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. The lawsuit goes on to list out Scarlett Johansson's resume, which is not uncommon in a lawsuit. There's always a little resume section about like why this party is this and what they all do and how great they are. I like Scarlett Johansson as an actress. So, you know, uh, gr yes, great. I'm, I didn't know that she had been making feature films since she was 10 years old. I've learned something fantastic. In 2012, she proved that she could perform in action-packed movies when she appeared in Iron Man 2, a superhero film based on the characters and stories from Marvel Comics. I love the lawsuit version of trying to explain the MCU. <laughs> I kind of live for the lawyers that had to be like, how do we explain this all to someone who might not be aware? Because you can't assume that a judge reading this lawsuit is aware. You can't make that assumption that they just know because it's become part of the, you know, part of the cultural awareness that the MCU is a thing. But 2010, Iron Man 2, 
I remember it pretty well. I really enjoy the Iron Man movies. In that film, Johansson played Natasha Romanoff, better known as her superhero name, Black Widow. For her work, she generated significant acclaim, including a Best Supporting Actress nomination from the Academy of Science, Film, Fantasy, and Horror Films. She went on to reprise the role of Black Widow in six more films, helping build what would eventually become the MCU, one of the biggest and most lucrative film franchises ever created. Uh, Facts. In 2019, Marvel Studio officially announced that Black Widow and Miss Johansson would have their own film. I was excited. I remember it being announced, and everybody was like, well, it's about time. There's fascinating backstory to this character, and we want to see Scarlett Johansson uh, kick ass in great costumes with weapons. I I love the Black Widow character, so I was excited by that. Prior to this announcement, the lawsuit continues. Representatives for Marvel and Ms. Johansson had finalized a deal for her services in connection with the picture. The deal is set forth in an agreement dated May 9th, 2017. So this agreement was signed like two years before, or at least a year and a half before they even announced the film was being made. These things are inked well before anything happens. At issue in this lawsuit is the portion of the agreement that generated or that guaranteed her share of box office receipts, meaning receipts from a movie, from movie theater ticket sales. To protect her financial interest in these receipts, Johansson obtained from Marvel a valuable contractual promise that the release of the picture would be a wide theatrical release. Because again, there's no point in having a contract term that says that a large part of your revenue or your um, pay in a film is based on box office receipts if you're not going to define how the movie is going to be released. Because they're like, yeah, yeah, you get box office release. We're releasing it in three theaters on a Tuesday for two weeks, and then we're putting it out to DVD. Or it's going direct to DVD, so there's no box office receipts because we decided not to have a box office. So defining box office receipts within the contract becomes a very important thing to do. You can't just assume that everyone's definition of release is the same, and we really see that in this lawsuit. Both parties, it goes on to say, as well as Disney, understood this meant that the picture would initially be released exclusively in movie theaters and that it would remain exclusively in movie theaters for a period between approximately 90 and 120 days. This 90 to 100 day window is industry standard at the time the agreement was finalized and is also standard for prior Marvel movies distributed by Disney. So they're going to look back at not just Captain Marvel, but all the other films in the MCU, particularly standalone films like Doctor Strange and stuff, saying, look, um, these standalone films had this typical release. This is what you should get from a Black Widow film, maybe not comparing it to something like Endgame that was a bit more of a pinnacle film in the franchise. Either way, they're arguing that all of the Marvel movies have had this 90 to 100 day window. In November 2019, they say approximately six months after the agreement was entered into. Um, well, they said in the statement above that the agreement was entered into in May 2017 and that the movie was announced in 2019. So I have questions how we got in November 2019, six months after the agreement was entered into, when the agreement was entered into into 2017. There is something wrong in this sentence. And I'm, what do we mean? Do we mean six months after the movie was announced? Because if the movie was agreed in May 2017, November 2019 is not six months away. Either way, November 2019, Disney launched Disney Plus. 
It is video on demand. It's Netflix with all Disney shit. We're aware. I'm going to skip all of that part. In light of these announcements, this is so interesting. Johansson's representative sought assurances from Marvel that it would hold up its end of the bargain with respect to the theatrical release of the picture guaranteed in her contract. In response, Marvel's chief counsel, lawyer, lawyer for Marvel, told Ms. Johansson's reps in May 2019, quote, this is quoted in the lawsuit from the email. We totally understand that Scarlett's willingness to do the film and her whole deal is based on the premise that the film would be widely theatrically released like our other pictures. We understand that should the plan change, we would need to discuss this with you and come to an understanding as the deal is based on a series of very large box office bonuses. Marvel acknowledges in May of 2019, pre-COVID, hey, we understand that the impetus and the benefit of the bargain, the inducement to Scarlett agreeing to do this, is based on a series of very large box office bonuses, which is, I think, common for an actress or actor of her stature. So making sure that we are all on the same page and Marvel acknowledging that we would need to discuss this to you should the plans change or discuss this with you as the plans change shows that in May 2019, they were well aware of what the contract terms were. There was no confusion. Everyone was on the same page. There was a meeting of the minds with this agreement. And that is going to be very hard for Disney to work around. Marvel knew what its obligations were with regard to release of this picture. And you know what they did? They released it on Disney Plus and in theaters. That is not a wide theatrical release. The lawsuit continues to say in late March 2021, however, in direct violation of these promises and her agreement, Disney announced that the picture would be simultaneously released in theaters and on Disney Plus Premier Access, a service available to Disney Plus subscribers. You pay $30. You get to watch the movie at home. Throughout this process, Ms. Johansson, through her representatives, it says, attempted to negotiate with Marvel to reach the aforementioned alternative understanding that Marvel's chief counsel had promised under these circumstances. Ultimately, Marvel ignored this outreach. No resolution was reached, and the picture was simultaneously released in theaters and on Disney Plus on July 9th. 2021. To no one's surprise, Disney's breach of the agreement successfully pulled millions of fans away from theaters towards its Disney Plus streaming service. Uh, us. Us. Um, however, I will say, given everything, we probably wouldn't have gone to theaters anyway. We likely would have waited for it to come out on Disney Plus later or come out on streaming later or come out on, you know, I, we we don't even have a DVD player, I don't think, <laughs> other than the PlayStation. So we would have waited for it to come out on streaming at a later time or like on Apple TV or iTunes. I don't think, I don't think sitting here in July 2021, we would have chosen to go to the theater, but lots of people would have because they were really excited about this movie. According to the lawsuit says to Disney's own self-congratulatory press release, the picture grossed more than $60 million on Disney Plus Premier Access in the first weekend alone. So that's $60 million that's taken out of the box office numbers that they don't have to pay Scarlett Johansson on because she's entitled to box office, not to streaming because they didn't renegotiate. And that is the heart 
of this entire lawsuit is Scarlett Johansson saying, no, what you can't do is just violate my contract and expect me to sit here and suck it up and be happy about it. It doesn't matter to me how much Scarlett Johansson makes for this picture, how much she was paid for this picture. She negotiated a contract that was beneficial to her so she could act in a movie that's beneficial to Disney. And they went, yeah, fuck it. We're just going to do what we want. It's a very Cartman behavior. I do what I want. I do what I want. I want it on Disney Plus. I put it on Disney Plus. The lawsuit gets into more nefarious things, saying that um, Black Widow not only bit into the box office numbers, but also that the stock price of Disney jumped 4% and that it drove people to Disney Plus because there's such a benefit to being on Disney Plus when you can just pay $30 for your home, whole family, stay home and watch the movie and repeat watch it. Once you have access to it, you can just watch it. You don't have to go back to the theater um, like you might have done in previous times when you saw a movie you loved, <clears throat> Endgame, and you are like, no, we're going, I need to see it again. There's more there. I've gotten the first watch over. I need to go back and look. And they actually bring up the Marvel fans and the repeat watching of Marvel fans later on in this lawsuit. They go on to say that Disney chose to placate Wall Street investors and pad its bottom line rather than allow its subsidiary Marvel to comply with the agreement. And my 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 cheek, my note on that was, um, so Disney picked stock over ScarJo. That's kind of where it is. Stocks over ScarJo. They go on to say that the icing on the cake for Disney was that with the bulk of Miss Johansson's compensation being tied to box office receipts, Disney knew that cannibalization of such receipts by Disney Plus would save Marvel and by extension Disney very large amounts of money that it would otherwise owe to Miss Johansson. On information and belief, Disney intentionally induced Marvel's breach of the agreement without justification in order to prevent Miss Johansson from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel. As we get to the party section of this lawsuit, the plaintiff in this lawsuit is Periwinkle Entertainment, which is Scarlett Johansson's loan-out company. A loan-out company is the business entity that hires Scarlett Johansson. So Periwinkle Entertainment is a corporate structure. It contracts with uh, Marvel, with Disney, and says our company will, will essentially provide the services of Scarlett Johansson as an actress and you will pay our company this way that the actress is hired by her own company and not hired directly by the studio. This is going to come up in the Bam Margera lawsuit as well. The other party being the Walt Disney Company. The factual background really gets into um, Miss Johansson's acting career, the movies that she's been in in the MCU, the character of Black Widow, and then really quickly gets back to the agreement and quotes parts from the engagement agreement. On May 9th, 2017, the lawsuit says the engagement part of the agreement states, quote, lender shall furnish producer, lender being the loan out company, producer being Marvel producing the movie, Johansson being the artist or the talent. Lender shall furnish producer with the services of artists to perform the role of Black Widow Natasha Romanoff in the theatrical motion picture currently entitled Black Widow. For the avoidance of doubt, if producer in its sole discretion determines to release the picture, then the release shall be a wide theatrical release of the picture, i.e. no less than 1,500 screens. At the time the agreement was entered, it was well understood by the parties 
and Disney that a theatrical release referred to is an exclusive release in theaters for the extended period, roughly 90 to 120 days, with the expectation of certain less valuable direct-to-video releases. It has long been custom and practice in the film industry for feature films to have at least a 90-day exclusive theatrical release before they are released to home video. Um, I think that is the pre-COVID world. I think this is all going to change, but that means contracts signed before in the before times are going to have to change because I believe that the theatrical windows we're seeing now are shorter and more in that 40 to 45 day range and less because people are just more hesitant to go to theaters. That doesn't excuse Disney from renegotiating with Scarlett Johansson over this contract if they're changing their procedures because the world has changed. It's not impossible for Disney to renegotiate with her. It's not impossible for Disney to choose to make this an exclusive theater release. We've seen other Disney movies in the last week, as I'm recording this, be released only in theater. And it makes me wonder if Jungle Cruise was renegotiated. And I'd be fascinated to know, did they renegotiate Cruella? Did they renegotiate Jungle Cruise? Or did they do the exact same thing with all of these contracts and just go, uh, there's a panorama going on. We're going to go ahead and do what we want, which you can't do. The lawsuit goes on to talk about the typical um, uninterrupted theatrical window for different Marvel movies, showing that it all falls within that 92, um, 120-day average, with the average window for Marvel movies being 117 days before it is released on any type of streaming service or home viewing option. The lawsuit goes on to point out that after the announcement of Disney Plus, Johansson's representatives reached out to Marvel, and they go through those emails again and highlight those emails again from Marvel's chief counsel, David Galluzzi, G-A-L-L-U-Z-Z-I, Galluzzi, saying that on March 20th, 2019, further to our conversation today, it is 100% our plan to do a typical wide release of Black Widow. We have very high expectations for the film and are very excited to try to do for Black Widow what we've just done with Captain Marvel. We totally understand that Scarlett's willingness to do the film and her whole deal is based on the premise that the film would be widely theatrically released like our other pictures. We understand that should this plan change, we would need to discuss this with you and come to an understanding as this deal is based on a series of very large box office bonuses. Right. This is everyone being professionals and going, yes, we get it. We get it. We want to work with you. And why would you want to burn your talent as a company? Um, it just, it's, it's not good for anyone involved, though financially Disney may have benefited. Burning your talent like this uh, is is not good. And I'm really actually glad that Scarlett Johansson and her team chose to sue um, and bring this to light and say, no, you cannot just single-handedly carry out this contract in violation of the contract. I performed my end. You have to perform your end. And when we went to Disney um, just a few weeks ago, there were posters for Black Widow all over downtown Disney. Uh, Black Widows featured very prominently through the Avengers campus. And in the shows, they have uh, character actors at Disney that are dressed as Black Widow. She's still a very prominent figure in the MCU. So why burn Miss Johansson, who has played this character since 2010? 
it doesn't make a lot of sense for me. Seeing Disney's comment in the media about this was really, really disappointing because what Disney said before we get into the rest of this lawsuit, so we have a little more, we have a little more context. As reported by various outlets and everything's linked uh, in the show notes and down below the YouTube video, the Disney spokesperson said after the lawsuit was filed uh, at the end of July, 2021, Quote, there is no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract. And furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. First of all, they call out how much she made to try to make her look like a greedy brat, which is not well taken. Stop it. That's not well taken at all. Second, they're indicating that the premier access enhanced her ability to earn compensation. Was she given the ability to take a part of streaming? Because her lawsuit says she was not renegotiated with, and she does not have a percentage of streaming. So. What is it? Because what they say in their lawsuit response will be very interesting because what they said in their publicity release is that, no, this has enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation. What it very specifically doesn't fucking say is that she's getting a part of streaming. It does not say that. It says that Disney has complied with her contract. How though? How though? Because the contract terms are being illuminated here. The Lawsuit is alleging that Disney did not renegotiate. It will not be well taken by me if Disney did renegotiate and she gets a percentage of streaming if if that comes to light. But if that were the case, I don't think she would have brought this lawsuit. I also want to point out, since the lawsuit compared Captain Marvel and since the letter from Marvel's chief counsel said, we're excited to do what we did with Captain Marvel to um, Black Widow of, unfortunately, you know, COVID intercedes. but. Captain Marvel did 153 million box office domestic in its first weekend. And so, you know, when you look at the 153 million domestic for Captain Marvel, and then you look at uh, this movie, which Black Widow was 215 million gross, 80 million from box office, 78 million from international box office, and 60 million from Disney Plus. You see that there is a dip because that 215 million is the global number, all of it. So they only did 80 million domestic, where Captain Marvel did 153 million domestic. So it's interesting to compare and contrast um, kind of what was taken out of the box office in that initial weekend from Disney Plus. Also, in early August, it started to be reported, um, and I have not seen this confirmed anywhere. But it has been reported by giantfreakingrobot.com that Disney is going to be cutting ties with future films with regard to Miss Johansson. If that is the case, it will be interesting to see if there is a retaliation claim on this that because she filed suit, they then are breaking ties with her. Or if they're going to say, no, we're changing our entire uh, movie release 
plan and structure due to COVID because we do know that the movie industry is changing. We do know that theaters are struggling and closing because people just aren't comfortable, but you also can't force people to go to the theater if they could wait 90 days to watch it at home. Most are going to say, you know what? I can wait. It's not that worth it. It's just not that deep. The lawsuit goes on to talk about the timeline running up to deciding that Black Widow would not be a theatrical release on Disney's part. Um, On February 11th, 2021, on an earnings call, the new CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek, who replaced Bob Iger, stated that, quote, we are still intending it to be a theatrical release when discussing Black Widow, but declined to clarify if it would be the May 7th release as scheduled or if it would be delayed again. And this is after the movie got bumped once. The uh, February Variety article indicated that Mr. Figi was opposed to a hybrid rollout and that the powers that be from Disney would still convince him to change his mind or overrule him completely. So now we're seeing the head of Marvel and the head of Disney um, at odds with what they thought they should do based on a article in Variety uh, back in February. So when you get to the March um, call, Disney's Chappic cleared up any remaining doubt that it was Disney, not Marvel, that would be calling the shots. And the lawsuit alleges that he told Bloomberg Television that, quote, we'll make the call probably at the last minute in terms of how these films will come to market, whether it's Black Widow or any other title. We'll be watching the call carefully to make the call when we have to. Days later, on March 23rd, 2021, Disney announced that instead of having a traditional exclusive theatrical release, the picture would get a day and date release on July 9th and be released simultaneously in theaters and on Disney Plus Premier Access. So that call was made in March 2021, but Johansson's team started bringing this up to Marvel back in 2019 when Disney Plus was announced. There was more than enough time to renegotiate. It will be interesting to see if Disney says that they did. This lawsuit then goes on to point out that other Disney movies such as Free Guy and Shang-Chi are being released in August and September and are being released to the box office, not to Disney+. Plus. Showing again, they could have done it. You know, if anyone wants to argue they couldn't perform this contract, like Disney has a defense. It was impossible for them to perform this contract because um, of the pandemic, because of restrictions, because of the fear of the public. Well, in June, you released a movie, but in August, you released it to theaters. So you've already bumped this movie over a year. You could bump it again. Like, it's not impossible. You can still do a theatrical release if you choose to, or you have the option to renegotiate with her. It's not like you tried to renegotiate according to this lawsuit and she said, no, fuck off. She said nobody would renegotiate with her. The lawsuit goes on to point out the aspect of Disney Plus that allows you to rewatch the movie once you pay $30 to have premiere access. They say, traditionally, if a moviegoer enjoyed a film enough to see it a second time, he or she would either have to buy another theater ticket or wait for the film on home video. They say, historically, there was no shortage of Marvel superfans willing to do so. Indeed, movie ticket service Fandango announced that in the first week alone, Avengers Endgame saw 80 more repeat viewers than Avengers Infinity War. Marvel itself has banked on these repeat viewers in the past, having re-released Avengers Endgame with seven minutes of additional footage in an explicit bid to draw in enough additional ticket sales to make the film the highest grossing of all time. 
In fact, the Guinness World Record for the most times seeing the same film in theaters is held by a Marvel fan who saw Avengers Endgame 191 times in theaters. The previous record was held by a fan who saw Avengers Infinity War 103 times in theaters. I have to figure out who that is. I should have Googled it before this. I did not. The headlines when I Googled it from Business Insider says, Florida man breaks Guinness World Record after watching Avengers Endgame 191 times of theaters. Ramiro Alanis set the world record watching Avengers Endgame 191 times in theaters. Well, you're now, <laughs> Ramiro, congratulations. You've been mentioned in Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit. Scarlett Joe's lawyers are impressed. This is my hyperbole, but ScarJo's employers are impressed, or lawyers are impressed, that you saw Endgame 191 times in theaters. Ramiro is a 33-year-old man from Florida who broke the world record earlier this month. This article was released in March 2021. The previous record was held by YouTuber Reps, who watched Avengers Affinity War 103 times in theaters. Alanis announced his new record with a picture on Twitter that displayed his Guinness World Record certificate, as well as his ticket stubs, which he captioned, I'm officially amazing, at Guinness World Records, title holder for the most cinema productions attended, same film, with 191 times seen, hashtag Avengers Endgame. And they actually included, they included the tweet in the article. So if you're not watching the video version, there will be a link in the show notes, but there we go. Um, <laughs> congratulations, sir. You are, you are now mentioned in a lawsuit. I feel like that's now becoming a thing, like it, being mentioned in the lawsuits. It's like, oh, look, there it is. There it is. The lawsuit then goes on to say with premier access, there are no repeat ticket sales. Subscribers pay a one-time fee to view the picture as many times as they want. Accurate. We really enjoyed Cruella. I watched it more than once. I really enjoyed Cruella. I really enjoyed Black Widow too. Watched it more than once as well. Uh, don't put me in this lawsuit though. I, I don't need to be mentioned in any other lawsuits. <laughs> I'm just saying. The lawsuit goes on to say that to add insult to injury, Johansson has spent the last several months fulfilling her obligation under the agreement to promote the picture and therefore by association, it's release on Disney plus that would add insult to injury. It's like, Oh, I'm out here trying to get people to see this movie, knowing that half of them, my estimate, knowing that a large portion of them could just choose to watch it at home. And I've been iced out of, of those negotiations to have a cut of the streaming. I, I imagine that that would add insult to injury. Again, allegations, if true. This lawsuit is allegations in shade. The shade isn't a ton of shade. There is definitely some shade in here. They talk about how much the executives at Disney have made, how much they've made off of their stock um, options with regard to Disney Plus and that Disney Plus thriving, raising stock prices also directly benefits them. There is shade. They're, they're shade directly at the executives, like the big corporate shade. It's like, damn the man, save the empire in this lawsuit. The causes of action are intentional interference with contractual relations, saying that Disney intentionally interfered with Marvel fulfilling its contract. Marvel's a wholly owned subsidiary. Marvel doesn't have the power to override Disney. And that's why the quotes 
from the head of Marvel saying ultimately it's Disney's decision are contained within this lawsuit, showing that Marvel does not get to override how this is released. The Disney is the wing that is releasing the films and making those decisions. So that is an interference with that contractual relation. The second cause of action is inducing breach of contract. Disney, they're arguing, made Marvel do it. Marvel didn't have the ability to say to Disney, no, that's not what we're doing. Uh, We don't want to release it on Disney. Plus, Disney said, no, this is what we're doing. This is how we're releasing it. So they made Marvel breach the contract through their action. The prayer for relief is monetary damages proven at trial, uh, damages, punitive damages proven at trial, punitive being the punishment damages, that plaintiff be awarded prejudgment interest saying, hey, even though we had to fight this thing out in court, for who knows how many years, we get interest on the amount that you owe us, attorney's fees and costs, and other relief. It is a very clean and well-written lawsuit. It very clearly describes their position of the case, which is very simple at the end of the day. We had a contract for a wide theatrical release. Disney said, fuck it, and released it on Disney+. Plus. We tried to renegotiate with you, and you didn't want to hear any of it, and that is not okay. And at the end of the day, it's not okay. It doesn't matter that she was paid $20 million up front. She gets the benefit of her bargain, whether she's making $20 or $20 million. It's a contract. You have to adhere to the contract or renegotiate the contract, and no one's above that. Sorry, Disney, not above it. I'm interested to see what facts they bring forth, because what they brought forth in their PR statement was shading Scarlett Johansson to try to make her look like a brat, which is not well taken at all. All of the male Disney characters got their... Uh, releases first. It took fighting to even get Black Widow merch at the beginning. Not thrilled, Disney. Not thrilled with that PR statement. Hoping that you treat your talent better, especially when they have become inextricably linked with the franchise that we're discussing. But with that, we're going to move on to uh, even more drama and lawsuits in shade with Bam Margera suing Paramount, MTV, Johnny Knoxville, and everyone else. Because I found so many great quotes about Hollywood, I couldn't not add a second one for this particular story because it was so fitting. This is from Walter Winchell, who said, Hollywood is a place where they place you under contract instead of under observation. It's interesting to me because that's really what happened in this lawsuit with Bam Marjara. If you're not familiar with Jackass, um, so sorry. Jackass really is what brought us this wave of like Jake Paul, David Dobrik, dangerous prank your friends video. It's basically like ow my balls from um, idiocracy is what Jackass is. It's it's a group of friends doing outrageous stunts and shit, hurting themselves and all of the things. It was a MTV show and then had a number of movies. If you have not seen Jackass, I'm sure you can find it somewhere on streaming, on YouTube, whatever. But this lawsuit is Bam Marjara uh, through Bam Marjara Inc. versus Paramount Pictures, MTV Networks, uh, Jeffrey Tremaine, we'll talk about him in a minute, uh, PJ Clapp, who is known professionally as Johnny Knoxville, Adam H. Spiegel, who's known as Spike Jones. Dick House Entertainment Inc. and Gorilla Flicks. Yeah, Dick House is what they call their production company. If you want to know what we're dealing with, it's like the the 
real life adult version of South Park. <laughs> and I really enjoy South Park, but that's that's where we're at with this. The lawsuit goes out to say that welcome to jackass are words that define a generation. They also define the better part of Margera's life, a man whose name has been synonymous with jackass since he created the franchise when he was barely out of his teens. They argue that Margera created the jackass uh, franchise long before the hit show on MTV in the 2000s, that the freshman season of the show was comprised of his footage with his own friend, the CKY crew. So with his own friend group, he was already filming these types of stunts and pranks. And MTV kind of took that and put it on air in the early 2000s. If if he had been born at a different time, he would have just started putting this stuff on YouTube. That wasn't an option. So making videos with your friends didn't often lead to mainstream success and did for him and the Jackass crew as they started on MTV in the early 2000s. The lawsuit goes on to say that Margera is not only the star of the television show and film franchise that has made Paramount and MTV hundreds of millions of dollars to date, but co-writer and producer who came up with the vast majority of the franchise's most memorable content. They said that Margera has given Jackass quite literally more than two decades worth of blood, sweat, and tears, but defendants have not repaid him in kind. Rather, Margera, who has a documented history of physical and mental health issues, including diagnosed bipolar disorder, has been the victim of unconscionable discrimination at the hands of defendants. The allegations in this lawsuit, the causes of action, and there are 14 causes of action here, are for violation of the Fair Employment and Housing Act, which we see in the Blizzard Activision suit, unlawful retaliation in violation of California Labor Code, uh, wrongful discharge in violation of public policy, breach of written contract, breach of implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing, intentional infliction of emotional distress, fraud and fraudulent inducement, fraud under false promise, violation of the Civil Rights Act of California, violation of the unfair competition law, common law copyright infringement, preliminary injunction, permanent injunction, and declaratory relief. Some of these causes of actions are not well taken by me, but we'll get into that when we get there. I'm going to go over the uh, kind of heart of this and then get into the fact that a lot of this complaint is actually redacted and filed under seal. I went through the court documents as to why it's because under the contract with Paramount, there are confidentiality clauses. And so they filed the complaint under seal so that the portions that might bump up against that non-disclosure clause are available to the court, but not available to the public, which is, is appropriate. And it's a good reminder that you actually can file things and not just disclose all of it. There are mechanisms in the court for keeping some shit private, and that's okay. So this was filed with portions of it under seal. It goes on to allege that while Margera was in rehab in 2019, Jones, the producer, Knoxville, the co-star, and Tremaine, the director, accosted him and coerced him into signing a draconian wellness agreement. Jones, Knoxville, and Tremaine, acting on behalf of and in the direction of defendants, assured Margera that if he did not sign the agreement then and there, he would be cut from all future jackass endeavors, including future film installments. They say this would effectively cut off Margera's primary source of income and sole means of supporting his family, including his infant son. They say having no other choice, 
as defendants would not even permit him the opportunity to consult an attorney, let alone negotiate the wellness agreement terms, Margera signed the wellness agreement. So they're going to go ahead and argue that this was signed under duress and that it's not enforceable. The fact that he has been terminated from the fourth movie because of this agreement is is a proper underlying issue. The thing that's very interesting to me is that the terms of this wellness agreement, and they're arguing he violated it by taking Adderall. They knew he was on Adderall. He said he's been on Adderall for over 10 years. It can show up in drug tests if they are not the right kind of drug test as a stimulant. But if it's known that someone's taking Adderall, they should be taking the drug test that can parse that out or requiring him to take the drug test that can parse that out. Let's take a look at what this wellness agreement required in part according to this complaint. They say that the wellness agreement took its toll on Margera and that for months he was obligated to complete daily drug tests multiple times per day, both scheduled and unscheduled, requests for which could come in at any hour of the day or night, that he was subject to countless breathalyzer and urinalysis tests, which he submitted to and passed repeatedly for several months without objection or incident, that in doing so, his ability to travel, work, and effectively live life were completely constrained, that they went so far, the defendants went so far, as to employ a doctor who FaceTimed him every morning to ensure he took the, quote, cocktail of pills that Paramount's medical team prescribed to him, pills that left him physically and mentally drained, depressed, and a shell of his former self. They say that Margera knew that the tiniest slip-up would end his career, so he was careful to follow every impossible demand imposed on him, demands that were, by all accounts, legally unenforceable, as his execution of the wellness agreement was procured under duress. They say that Margera did not slip up. He followed the provisions and that the treatment from the defendant's doctors exacerbated his mental health issues and led him to thoughts of self-harm, but he preserved only to have the rug pulled out from under him. In March 2020, they go on to say Paramount executed a contract with BMI, that's Margera's loan-out company, to procure Margera's services on the fourth Jackass film in August 2020 after he had already put considerable work into the movie, including filming. Interesting that this one, the contract was signed in March, and by August, a bunch of work had already gone in, where with Black Widow, the contract was signed in 2017, the movie was announced in 2019, and who knows when it was filmed. But in August, he had already filmed several scenes, developed a dozen of ideas for the film, and submitted them to defendants in writing the vast majority of which they say are still being used, Paramount terminated his contract, citing a purported violation of the wellness agreement. They go on to argue that Margera did not violate the agreement. Defendants wrongfully terminated him, and that stems from numerous drug tests where he was forced to submit to, and they demonstrated that he was taking the prescription Adderall. Defendants knew full well that he was on Adderall to treat his ADD, and that he had been on that medication for several years, notwithstanding and without giving him an opportunity to explain, Paramount fired him. They then say that, unfortunately, traumatic as Margera's experience may have been, it is not uncommon. Only recently have brave individuals felt empowered enough to come forward with their stories. CEG, Zoe Christian-Jones, and Justin Carizimo, Britney Spears' conservatorship, explained and then they go on to say, noting that Britney Spears, arguably the world's most famous pop star, quote, is fighting for changes to her court-appointed conservatorship, which has had control over her career since 
and her finances since 2008. And under the, quote, abusive conservatorship, she was forced to take strong drugs after refusing to reform, stopped from removing birth control devices, and has been allowed little to no privacy. So now in this lawsuit, it's like lawsuitception. In this lawsuit, we're seeing arguments that, look, this isn't, this is how Hollywood acts. When Britney refused to comply, she told the court that she was drugged into compliance. Look, Your Honor, the same thing's happening with this wellness agreement. They're drugging him into compliance, even though he was willing to comply. It's interesting that they drew the parallel between this wellness agreement and how BAM's being treated to how Britney Spears is being treated. I'm interested to see if you think that it is a reach or if you think that it is a fair comparison. The lawsuit goes on to say Paramount's inhumane treatment of Margera cannot be countenanced. Margera was made to endure psychological torture in the form of a sham wellness agreement and then ultimately terminated from uh, for his protected class status due to his medical condition and his complaints about defendant's discriminatory conduct towards him. So he's saying he's retaliated against. What's interesting, though, is that plaintiff BMI is BAM's loan-out company. So BAM is hired by his company. The company contracts with Paramount. They're trying to make BAM an employee of Paramount to get to some of these discriminatory uh, causes of action. But he's an employee of BMI. BMI contracted with Paramount. I don't know how they're going to get to really getting a court on board with the position that he's not an employee of his loan-out company. And it doesn't matter that the loan-out company is who contracted with Paramount, but BAM is an employee of Paramount. That is a reach for me, and I don't know how they're going to get there with a court. We'll talk about it as we get to those causes of actions. They talk about jurisdiction and venue. A lot of it's redacted, which I imagine are the contract terms from the contract with Paramount. They allege um, all of Margera's history with Jackass, that he created Jackass, that this is essentially his thing. They talk about how successful the franchise has been, how much the film has made. Um, Jackass in February 20, uh, 2002. As I'm saying 20, 2002. God, it sounds awkward. It's hard to say 2000 now that I'm so used to saying 20. We're at 2021. I'm used to saying 20 something <laughs> instead of 2002. 2002. The film franchise was just getting started. Jackass, the movie, was filmed for $5 million and grossed $80 million. They then talk about Bam's spinoff show, Viva La Bam. Viva La Bam. Why is Viva La Bam hard to say? Viva La Bam. And they talked about Bam's Unholy Union, another spinoff show. They talked about the other Jackass films, Jackass 3D, which came out in 2010 with a budget of $20 million and grossed over $170 million worldwide, garnering $50 million in its opening weekend alone. Look at that. A wide theatrical release of Jackass 3D. They then go on to say that Jackass has had a seismic impact on popular culture. Yes, and in the type of content that's on YouTube. They say that Margera's crucial participation in the franchise catapulted it to the success it has today and created an instantly recognized brand that has earned and continues to earn high profits for defendants. And they cite an article from 2020 from BBC Culture called How Jackass Became a Pioneer of Modern Comedy. Now, 
I would love to know if you would like to to walk that back or if this Ow My Balls comedy is for you. Um, I'm on the fence sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I get it. And sometimes I'm like, without Jackass, would we not have Jake Paul's style of content on YouTube? Would we not have David Dobrik's style content on YouTube? Or would it have just been someone else that created this style of content? I don't know. Love to know your thoughts. They go on to get into Margera and other members of Jackass's struggles with addiction and mental health. They talk about Bam checking himself into rehab. And then while he's at rehab, uh, Johnny Knoxville, Jones, and Tremaine showing up unannounced with this wellness agreement, and they're arguing, forcing him to sign it. They get into more specific terms of the wellness agreement, saying that he must blow into a breathalyzer at noon, 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. every single day, that he is required to submit to random urinalysis twice a week, um, and he will be called and he has an hour to get somewhere to test, that he's required to have his hair follicles tested, required to take several pills every morning while on a FaceTime call with a hired doctor by Paramount. I highlight this because there's been discussion and speculation about whether the IUD with regard to Britney Spears was part of one of her contracts with regard to the Vegas shows. Because when you see a wellness agreement like this, it just reminds us that these types of terms will be contracted, that a female performer not get pregnant, not gain weight, um, and other types of terms. And in this one, it's regarding sobriety and regarding um, what how they're monitoring BAM's sobriety. But it is the type of thing you would see with somebody who's like out uh, on bond for a fairly serious criminal offense that in- involved drugs or alcohol. It is a very stringent um, wellness agreement. The lawsuit goes on to highlight that this wellness agreement they're saying uh, led Margera into a fairly dark place and that his wife caught him researching how to tie a noose. There is other uh, other things with that that are redacted out, um, getting more deeply into that and possibly into those contract terms. They talk about the circumstances of his termination, that he um, he got an email saying that in March 2020, Jackass 4 was being suspended due to COVID, that after this resumed, he was then subsequently terminated in August uh, 2020. What's interesting to me is I don't think that they resumed production in August. It seems like they terminated him before they resumed production. They then talk about, this is their headline, their header for the next section of the lawsuit. Defendants in a fit of guilt or to keep Margera quiet, attempt to make up for their discriminatory behavior by setting up a trust fund for his son. In May 2021, after his affiliation with Jack- with Jackass was terminated, defendants Jones, Knoxville, Tremaine, and Dick House, in what can only be viewed as an omission of their wrongdoing towards Margera, purportedly set up a trust fund for the benefit of Margera's three-year-old son as a grossly insufficient settlement offer. They say this illusory trust, which came with many strings attached, was not executed. Nonetheless, defendants communicated to BAM's mom that they would hold $2.5 million in funds because the trust was supposed to be comprised of 1% 
of the gross receipts of Jackass 4. Defendants have effectively conceded that they expect the film will make, at a minimum, $250 million. They say defendants' paltry and inappropriate offering to Margera's son cannot make up for the monetary damages they have caused to Margera. To say nothing of the far more significant mental and physical anguish they have inflicted upon him. They then get into the causes of action. A lot of the causes of action are arguing that Paramount was an employer of Bam Margera. They say that at all times mentioned herein, Margera was an employee of Paramount. On March 3rd, BMI, Margera's company, entered into a contract with Paramount. The company entered into a contract with Paramount. And as attached at the end of this lawsuit, the termination letters from Paramount are in here. The termination letters from Paramount are written to his company, his loan-out company. The purpose of a loan-out company is that you are employed by the loan-out company and you sign a talent agreement. You are not the employee of the studio. It will be very interesting for me to see how they get around this because so many of these causes of action are predicated on him being an employee. The ones that don't, that might be more well taken, are the copyright complaints in this lawsuit. Because with regard to that, the copyright infringement alleges that BAM came up with the ideas for Jackass 4 and that BAM came up with these ideas and communicated them to all the defendants and they're still being used in Jackass 4. Here's the thing though. If you're an employee of Paramount while you are writing this movie, then all the ideas you come up with are not your independent copyright. They belong to your employer. So this lawsuit argues that both he's an employee for the purposes of all the wrongful termination shit, but that he's not an employee for the copyright infringement shit. He is either one or the other, but these causes of action cannot stand together. He doesn't own the intellectual property if he's working as an employee. So what is it? Are they stealing his copyright or are they wrongfully terminating him and discriminating against him? I think he stands to make more money potentially from the copyright claims and sod all the employment claims. But now they've argued two sides of the thing out of both sides of their mouth in this agreement. They don't say that there are any provisions of the contract about who owns the copyright. They argue that he's the exclusive owner. They argue the defendant plans to use a vast majority of his ideas. But if he was an employee at the time he was writing the movie, then that intellectual property belongs to Paramount. You cannot have it both ways in the same lawsuit. You are stopped from having it both ways. Oi. Oi. So they're seeking in the copyright argument remedies for copyright infringement, but also for a preliminary and permanent injunction to prevent the movie from coming out. So now it's like, fuck you, the movie can't come out. If the court finds he's an employee, then the copyright stuff all goes. If they find he's not an employee, then it's very interesting what happens with the copyright stuff. They're also asking for declaratory relief against Paramount, saying that Paramount violated the contract and, you know, generally that they suck. That's normally what a lot of the declaratory relief asks for. 
But as a side note to this lawsuit, I talked about the individuals that went to rehab to, as BAM's lawyers say, confront him and coerce him to sign this wellness agreement. One of those individuals now has a three-year restraining order against BAM. Uh, Jeffrey Tremaine went to court and was granted a three-year restraining order in June of this year over posts that Margera was making after this on social media. So it is very clear that this these business relationships are deeper than just someone working for a studio. I mean, Scarlett Johansson's breakdown of the contractual agreement with Disney isn't personal the way that this lawsuit feels like it's becoming personal. These are people that are friends that work together for years, different than working with the large studio. I am curious if Paramount is going to try to get themselves removed from this lawsuit saying we're clearly not an employee bounce and then allow him to sue the others. It will be very interesting to see how this moves forward. But there is that, you know, BAM goes wild on Tremaine over social media ending in a three-year restraining order. I think that we will see a lot more from this lawsuit. I'm interested to see what happens in the Disney one as well. But we're seeing more and more people exposing the way that they are treated in these Hollywood contracts, which brings us back to the quote at the beginning. They put you under contract instead of under observation. And where are the boundaries with, with work and with a studio's responsibility to protect or to take care of its talent or where the talent's own responsibility lies in saying, no, uh, these are boundaries that I'm not going to cross. I would love to hear your thoughts on all of this. I think that the two lawsuits are very interesting. I really do. And we'll see what happens. Or or they'll all just go to settlement negotiations or these contracts have clauses in them that take them all out of the court system and into arbitration. Who knows? We don't have any of the contracts in front of us, but I guess we'll see. I'll be keeping tabs on this. I asked the members over on YouTube and podcast listeners Don't worry, we are going to be launching a Patreon that allows those of you that don't engage with YouTube to still engage with this podcast and additional exclusive behind the scenes content. But I asked the members what they wanted to see and what questions they had from this case. And I wanted to share a few of those with you. Over on YouTube, Knights Husseini asked, Could Disney point at Jungle Cruise and say, quote, it's not the model causing the issues, it's the movie itself? It's a wonderful question. And the thing is, it's not really about the movie's performance. It's about the failure to renegotiate the movie with Scarlett Johansson's loan-out company, but with Scarlett Johansson to cover the compensation if they were changing the release structure. So not performance so much, but how it was released as... um, as being the thing. Julie Holden said, why didn't Disney just offer additional payment to ScarJo to accommodate the lower box office receipts, thereby avoiding a lawsuit and then saying, IMO, we'd be less likely here if this had been a male superhero film. I I don't know. I'm curious if they renegotiated with Jungle Book and I'm going to be looking at those two together. I really enjoy, or Jungle Cruise. I really enjoy Jungle Cruise with uh, The Rock and Emily Blunt. 
I wonder if they renegotiated that to release it on Disney Plus and when those contracts were signed, because it will be a good comparison because these are movies released around the same time. And if they negotiated with one and not with the other, why was that done? But yes, they Disney could have negotiated for a new release structure or bumped the movie to do a full theatrical release. A number of you said that you hadn't heard of the Bam Margera and MTV lawsuit. So I hope that you find it interesting. Megan Shepard asked, is Johnny Knoxville, and it's really the, the lawyers and the companies, but we all get it. Is Johnny writing sobriety into BAM's contract legal? I've heard of morality clauses. Is this what they are using? Does BAM have any ownership over Jackass? Could this affect the contracts? Are there any other famous cases where sobriety was written into contracts? We will get to sobriety in other kind of wellness clauses, but these wellness clauses are not unenforceable if they're agreed upon not under duress. There are certain things that can't be enforced, but certain things that can. And this is not uncommon for studios to do and to do, you know, on things like tours and what have you. So it's not a morality clause per se, but it's interesting in this case, they're arguing this particular wellness contract was signed under duress. Therefore, it's not enforceable. And what ownership BAM has over Jackass will also be something they'll be fighting over. I just don't like the way they approached it in this particular lawsuit, right? And then one last one, Julie Holden said, uh, regarding Scarlett Johansson, I read an article that covered, quote, the legal doctrine of impossibility and how it relates to COVID. It came down firmly on ScarJo's side. I found it very interesting. And I did address impossibility a little bit. That's not going to, um, that's not going to apply here. You can see impossibility. This is one of the cases I remember because it's one of the it's a case that I read ages ago where um, a wedding venue burns down and the wedding is supposed to be there that weekend. You can't sue them for not holding your wedding because they can't hold your wedding at the venue because it burned to the ground. That's the type of impossibility we're talking about. I cannot perform this contract because this other thing happened. Therefore, it's a defense if you sue me for breach of contract. It's actually impossible for me to fulfill it. That's what the doctrine of impossibility covers. This here, this here is not impossible. So thank you to all the members. I will be asking as we move to Patreon too for your questions to cover in these videos and to cover on our members only exclusive content. So keep your eyes out for that. It's coming in. No, not October. It's coming in September. Why did I say October? It's coming in September. And I'm very, very excited. That's just a few weeks away. And I can't wait to bring you some more exclusive content. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being all honored. I hope that you enjoyed today's Emily show. I can't wait to see what you think about it on social. Raise a glass and may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your family be well. May your toilet paper be plentiful. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you in the next one, friend. Thank you. 